Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Opposing Points. My guest today is Major Fred Galvin. He's the author of A Few Bad Men, the true story of U.S. Marines ambushed in Afghanistan and betrayed in America. He's a retired Marine Corps enlisted and Marine Corps officer. He led a group of uh, MARSOC Marines, basically special operations, um, and his combat missions were everywhere in the world. But this particular book takes place in Afghanistan, where uh, Galvin and six of his Marines were falsely accused of horrific war crimes uh, that led to the longest trial in Marine Corps history. Uh, his book is available for pre-order. I really highly recommend that you that you read it. Uh, it's it's somewhere along the lines of uh, American Sniper um, and Lone Survivor. This book reads, I don't know how to just, so, like if you're a civilian like me, the things that you read in this book will blow your mind. Um, so I highly recommend reading the book. Um, if you enjoy the conversation, I hope you like this video and subscribe to the channel and um, just kick back and relax and listen to my conversation with Fred. Hope you enjoy. Hey, everybody, welcome to today's episode of Opposing Points. Uh, today, I'm honored to have Major Fred Galvin, a retired U.S. Marine Corps and author of A Few Bad Men, the true story of U.S. Marines ambushed in Afghanistan and betrayed in America. How you doing, Fred? Great, David. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's good to have you. Um, I, I think probably a lot of people would be shocked to read some of the things uh, that you write about in this book. I don't happen to be one of them that was shocked. <laughs> um, I imagine um, some of this stuff uh, happens more than we'd like to think um, to our to our veterans. Um, so I, I'd like to kind of just start off um, asking uh, you to provide a, a brief background on yourself and, and why you joined uh, the Marine Corps uh, before we get into the book a little bit. Sure. My family, we took a trip when I was about 10 years old saw several of the Revolutionary War battlefields, and uh, it was at that age, I, I knew nothing about the military service other than those sacrifices that were described by the park rangers, and that uh, really hit way deeply on my heart all the way through uh, high school, and that's what led me to join the military. A friend in high school said, hey, the Marines, uh, they don't just have the slogan, but they are the first to fight. And that's what steered me in the direction of the Marine Corps. Uh, so uh, I joined the Marines a week after graduating high school, 17 years old, and then uh, went uh, straight to boot camp in San Diego. And uh, we went off to Desert Storm after that. Uh, went to college out uh, here in California, followed by a, was a stock worker for two years before re-entering the Marine Corps as an officer. Awesome. And can you just talk about, um, for those that, that maybe haven't heard of, of the events that take place in this book that you describe. Um, can you talk about briefly um, what you faced? Yes. So uh, this event happened in 2007 on March 4th. Uh, we were right on the border of Afghanistan and Pakistan. We are going into this village. And for those that are not familiar, uh, obviously we were unable to go into Pakistan, and that's where a lot of the Taliban had been. It was a training sanctuary. They would train these foreign fighters 
and also Afghans, and they would get them fully radicalized. They'd bring them into uh, Afghanistan. And this little village that we were entering was essentially the uh, logistics node. It was where fully trained jihadists would link up with their handlers who would take them all across different uh, locations to fight Americans and the coalition forces. So as we entered that village, obviously this is a Taliban-controlled village. And uh, we did have intelligence knowing uh, we knew exactly where these four suicide bombers were. And as we entered the village, uh, there was military-aged men uh, lined up on both sides of the road. We had been through there earlier that morning at 6 in the morning. It was normal pattern of life, uh, men, women, children at this time, 9 o'clock in the morning. There were no complete pattern of life change, uh, absolute absence of women and children, uh, military men lined the road, and then we got hit with a massive van filled with explosives and shrapnel detonated right in the front of our patrol. As soon as that happened, to the left of us, a vehicle, a sports utility vehicle with three jihadists hanging out of the windows were firing fully automatic AK-47s aimed at that uh a team that had just got uh, hit with a car bomb. Uh, so our men stood up, uh, grabbed their machine guns, fired, killed, uh, stopped the vehicle, and killed three of the four passengers in the vehicle. The driver bailed out into a ditch. And uh, then we started receiving fire from a riverbed on the right side of the road uh, with dismounted. These were uh, formations. One would fire and suppress us. The other echelon would maneuver. Uh, at that same time, we were receiving sniper fire from a hilltop. They dragged a vehicle across the road. A mob formed and swarmed at us. Uh, so after we killed the formations that were in the dry riverbed shooting at us, uh, we fired above the heads of the mob because they were unarmed. And uh, then we departed the area and returned back to our base. And that was uh, about 20 minutes later is when we received began to receive over the BBC these uh, reports that were fed by uh, Taliban stringers uh, of the story of alleging us killing uh, women and children, which were uh, false reports, but it, uh, they were very effective for the Taliban, unfortunately. Right. Um, and what was kind of crazy to me reading this uh, was, one, you know, I one of the guys responsible for the attack was 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 used in the testimony against you right that's correct uh the taliban leader who had been training uh foreign fighters up to 100 personnel elements in pakistan just the week mm-hmm. before his name was haji lawani Kamadan, and uh he not only drove that vehicle he bailed out of it uh as we left the area, the gunner in my vehicle, the turret gunner, aimed and shot at him. He was firing at us. But uh, during the court of inquiry, as you just had mentioned, he provided televised testimony uh, from Afghanistan, from American base there, uh, swearing that uh, there was no, uh, no one that had any weapons that was firing at any Americans. His testimony was radically different than what he provided a year prior to the Naval Criminal Investigative Service, uh, where he said there was three personnel in his vehicle, three were killed. Uh, he was the fourth. 
then uh, in the court of inquiry a year later on uh, when he swore to uh, on the Quran, he said that uh, you know there's only two people. Obviously, one of those uh, the facts showed was a terrorist, uh, but he was paid and he demanded that he get paid more. He said he had 500,000 Afghani, that's their currency, in his glove compartment, uh, and he demanded, curiously demanded justice and more compensation. So, uh, but uh, this is this is a nonfiction story. This actually happened. We paid him off the equivalent of uh, four years average Afghan salary for each of the three individuals, although he later said there's only two in the car. He was compensated for three. Is it is it common that we uh, that we do that that we have people swear on on their own religious texts uh, you know that you know we they don't they don't share the same Western values and, and justice system is that a common thing that's that's done? Actually, in the court of inquiry, he provided video testimony, so he he didn't actually there was not a religious text that he's but he said I swear on okay. the Quran I swear on to Allah. Mm -hmm. he, uh, those were his exact words uh, on the record, uh, but uh, they they did not have him swear in uh, as they do uh, U.S. service members. No. Okay, interesting. Um, and you also talk about how um, one one team member uh, they they applied uh, quite a bit of pressure, threatening uh, deportation. Um, there was another team member that I think you mentioned. Uh, did sign a statement, but that he had other motivations um, to, you know, against the war. Um, in general, um, when you decided to tell this story, uh, what was the reaction, if you can talk about it, of, of people on your team? Uh, well, so far, uh, the Marines are, and after I went on to serve seven years, uh, the day I retired, the actual retirement date, I was a subject of a slander in the media uh, the same year. It happened again. Uh, so I started to contact uh, members of the media that were writing this, gave them copies of my polygraph, the executive summary from the Court of Inquiry, and then basically started to tell our side of the story. And in doing that, uh, the first uh, venue was the Marine Corps Times, and they did a, a very deliberate a six-month effort and wrote a detailed five-part series that the uh, the Marines who were on our patrol, the, at least the seven of us who were falsely accused, uh, we all sat and uh, talked to this reporter um, in a in a conference call, and they all had their say. So they were we were it was painful. Uh, some of these men because. You know, although we're trained to fight the enemy, we're not trained to have our own senior military leaders betray us to the degree. You know, there's many people in the military or corporate world that if you're fired, you feel some injustice, but you're usually not fired and threatened to be put in prison the rest of your life. This is extreme. This, And David, hopefully, although these types of atrocities do happen, unfortunately, and I'm talking about where people are unjustly accused, uh, but hopefully there will be no sequel to this where, uh, to this degree, uh, you know, they alleged that we killed 19 and wounded 50. There was no prima facie evidence. There's no blood, no bullet, no. Now there was pictures later used, but those were pictures of other alleged killings, uh, mm -hmm. but that was, uh, 
nothing from the 4th of March. Uh, they just had pictures of people rioting. They had pictures of the uh, vehicle that was blown up, the vehicle that we shot, but there's no uh, prima facie evidence. And that's why they, instead of using a court martial, they used a very rare legal type of a trial called a court of inquiry. It's a fact-finding mission because they didn't have prima facie evidence due to, uh, well, the Naval Criminal Investigative Service stated that there was uh, going to be two elements that would conduct interviews. One would be sent to Afghanistan and investigate. They called it uh, the uh, the victims, uh, shows some bias there. And then the two was a group was going to be sent to Kuwait to investigate the Marines who were involved. What actually happened, David, is both of those groups were formed into one, and they all went to Kuwait and dogpiled our Marines. So we had 45 criminal investigators, four prosecuting attorneys, all aiming uh, on the seven of us who were alleged. So seven to one odds. And uh, this was uh, directed by the commander uh, who was the commanding general of the Marine uh, Central Command at that time was Lieutenant General Jim Mattis. I know a lot of your listeners are familiar with him, the former Secretary of Defense, retired Marine four-star general, who was in charge of this investigation. He handed it over to Lieutenant General Helen directly before the trial, but he was the one in October who uh, restricted both uh, myself and the. there's one other officer that was uh, determined the two of us would be going to trial, put a gag order on us. Uh, and our attorneys, very extreme ones, stating that if even if the attorney said anything to the press, that they would be disbarred. Uh, this is obviously censure. It was labeled as a protective order. Um, but, you know, as readers and listeners <clears throat> hear this, read the book, they would probably think some these Gestapo tactics you know, or something that uh, happened in Nazi Germany or someplace like Tehran, but not in America. But mm -hmm. unfortunately, this did happen. And there's a similar case that's uh, it, it's not to the same level, but there's three Marine Special Operations personnel currently undergoing awaiting court martials for a, a separate incident in Iraq where they were just defending themselves, uh, not from a gunfight, but from someone uh, who physically assaulted them. Mm -hmm. protected them by uh, throwing one punch, and uh, unfortunately, the uh, retired Green Bray died. Uh, this, again, is in, happened in Erbil, Iraq, and, uh, you know, three and a half years later, these Marines' lives are still awaiting trial, promotions put on hold. And so the, the purpose I bring that up is this is not a, a one-off. This mm -hmm. is not something that happened in the past, and and could never happen in the future. This is something that is currently uh, still repeating itself right now. And in, in the same command, the Marine Special Operations Command, it's a very, uh, it's very real it's, and it's unfortunate. It's affecting the lives of, of service members. This is the largest employer in the United States is the Department mm -hmm. of Defense. So it needs to be examined and uh, made sure that this will not occur again. That's the reason I'm writing this book. Right. And, you know, reading this book as, as a civilian, I, I think about the overall um, lack of accountability. Um, I, I thought of, of Pat Tillman in the way that, that his, his, his death was kind of covered up. I think about the 
um, the Afghanistan evacuation where they, you know, they, they kind of took a while to admit that they bombed an innocent family and, and no one kind of paid the price. These guys like, um, like Lloyd Austin and General Milley and stuff like that. Like, are, 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 were any of the people, my guess is, is no, but were any of the people um, held accountable that, that did this to you? No. And, uh, you know, we have a, there's a very important reason why we have, need to have a strong national defense. This is not a shot at our United States military. This is just as the title doesn't imply, it states, this is about a few mm-hmm. bad men. But the men who are in this book, you know, they have their names. They are, the perpetrators are all named. They includes their photographs. Um, and it utilizes what they either freely said to the press uh, voluntarily during a criminal investigation, or it states what they said under oath, you know, in a court of law in the Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, during the longest trial in Marine Corps history. Um, so, this isn't my hearsay or conjecture or how mm-hmm. I felt about anything. As you get to the latter half of the book, it's just straight their, their sworn testimony. And what happened to these gentlemen is uh, two things that let me elaborate on is one, there, this, as I have previously described, this was a gunfight on the side of the road. This is mm-hmm. not the Jason Bourne's knock list or locations of submarines at sea. This had no reason being classified, but during the trial, Every single time we had a witness with, uh, especially defense witness with exculpatory evidence, they would remove the media, not from the courtroom and put them in the lobby. They would remove them from the entire building, put them two buildings over on the second floor, uh, so they couldn't possibly hear any of our, although the, the jury did, and the jury made a decision, which was announced four entire months later on a Friday night of a four, four-day Memorial Day weekend, which was just uh, ridiculous, uh, but the media, the ones telling the people about what happened, uh, they only got one side of the story. That's information warfare, and what that allowed was for all these senior officers who did testify, and many of which refused to testify, but many of these uh, thought they would never, they were basically protected, made men, they'd never be held accountable. Uh, what did happen to them, second part of this I want to address is uh, Every single one of them, except for one uh, scoundrel who uh, was our, who was a major that uh, was sent to be our basically our mouthpiece to our higher headquarters there in Afghanistan. He didn't get promoted. He, he actually was selected for promotion, and they did hold him accountable because they removed his promotion and he retired as a major. But everyone, Lieutenant Colonel and above, was either and or promoted. And a given command of a of a colonel command. So uh, many of these uh, senior leaders went on. Uh, we still have some in circulation. Just uh, selected to be uh, the supreme allied commander of Europe. Um, you know they were lieutenant colonels at the time. Uh, so these people, and this is very unfortunate. We've seen the results after 20 years of what's happened in Afghanistan. Zero accountability. Uh, you throw somebody junior at the tactical level somebody that's fighting in the trenches, you throw them under the bus, point the finger, and there's there's your scapegoat. So uh, that's exactly the tactics that were used in this case, unfortunately. Yeah. I, I, the other thing I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of as I'm reading this book is there are a couple of, of, of um, 
parallels, right? Where one, you're accused of something, you're guilty until you're proven innocent. Um, and, and you talk about in the, in the book how, you know, people, you were sort of untouchables, right? The other is, um, it, it seemed to be in the context of other things that were happening and that um, our, uh, it seemed to be that our strategy was to just try to apologize to, 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 to the people there and just move on. And um, some of that also uh, would, would restrict the way that you can do the job that you're sent there for. And I think that seems to parallel some of the experiences that I've heard from uh, police officers on the ground here as well, where they're uh, afraid to, to do their jobs. Do you see any of, have, are, you, are you seeing a similar uh, kind of assessment there? I do. And, you know, this was incentivized uh, along those lines. You know, there's um, programs, whether it's in law enforcement, there's programs in the military. A lot of these, you know, I, I used to term it the, the no general left behind program where these generals, once they retire as a three or a four star general or admiral, they get into the club and, uh, you know, they start working for these defense contractors. I'm talking just like General Mattis. Retired, worked for General Dynamics, three other ones, Theranos was one of them. We saw what happened with that company. We saw oh, yeah. his uh, testimony under uh, oath that, you know, I, the general didn't know, well, you're a board member. You're, you're, sell, you're trying to pass this off and coerce and influence people in the Pentagon to buy it. You better know. Mm -hmm. uh, Four-star generals and secretaries of defense don't get an alibi by saying, you know, the, the boot general... The, the brand new, the green secretary of defense, uh, former, he didn't know. Well, uh, they're paid handsomely. They're flown around in a corporate jet right into D.C. from wherever they're living to uh, coerce, and it's, it's a big bracket. Um, so my, uh, my thing is, is a lot of these programs aren't set up to succeed. Uh, we saw in Afghanistan, you know, there was incentives after 20 years you know, they didn't want it to succeed. They just wanted to continue on. And that's what General John Nicholson continually urged is let's stay the course. I remember him at 12 years saying, you know, it takes at least 14. And then went on to 20 years. But the situation only got worse. And who does that benefit? Well, those that are making these uh, defense programs. It doesn't benefit those in the trenches. It doesn't benefit the, the families that uh, had a regrettable situation with a Marine that uh, just passed away. Who I served with in Fox Company, but he passed away this last weekend. Uh, those are the ones in, in the front lines that are paying the, the awful costs, while these generals, uh, I guess it doesn't really bother them uh, to uh, receive all these financial incentives uh, to have those wars continually perpetuated. Yeah, I think we're seeing some of that now um, with, with the media. Again, you know, they, they push for war, uh, the uh, Ukraine. Uh, and then they send they send our our men and women in, and then they're not even willing to back you up when, so to speak, shit hits the fan. Um, is the impression that I get when I'm looking when I'm reading this book or when I'm watching the news um, as a, as a civilian, I see like the you know the ghost of Kiev uh, was was some you know misinformation didn't exist, um, and so. I, I know I've said this on other podcasts. It's it's very hard to know what's real. Um, and when you have the media pushing the story about you and probably kind of not necessarily pushing the correction or, or people are not paying attention, but it, it does real damage. Um, what do you think um, are, the, are some of the reforms uh, that 
this is a two-part question. What do you think are some of the reforms that can be done um, very briefly? And also, what can uh, people like me or, or other civilians do um, to support uh, the men and women in our armed forces in these situations? Those are good questions. I believe the answers are intertwined is when America, you know, has a higher value and it's just like if uh, you have car insurance, a lot of people aren't thinking about it. If you're a civilian skydiver, a lot of people aren't thinking about that reserve and how well it was packed or when it was last repacked. That's, that may not be the on the forefront of everybody's mind, nor is our military until you need it. Now, we're not going to be fighting. Uh, we're likely not going to be fighting someone with uh, wearing sandals and using technology made in 1947 with a... Uh, Kalashnikov rifles and homemade explosives. It's likely that we're going to be in a fight in the next five years with someone that has fifth generation fighters, aircraft carriers, uh, massive numbers of ships, and can easily push 96 miles across the Straits of Taiwan and uh, seize and hold a lodgment in a country that uh, they will see is, and they currently see is, uh, they have rights to. Mm -hmm. uh, look what they're doing to many of these countries and sea lanes and fishing lanes. And when I say many countries, they through the one belt, one road, uh, they're, they've already contracted, uh, with 60 countries to procure the logistics for the next 100 years at, uh, terms and conditions that are completely disadvantageous of these countries. But, uh, you know, through corrupt politics and, uh, incentivizing the senior leaders, um, you know, makes it a little bit easier, but basically, uh, we spent 20 years, forcing around in the Middle East while our, you know, competitors, uh, the, the other superpowers, China mainly, uh, as well as Russia, you throw uh, Iran in there, as well as uh, North Korea, uh, they're developing technology that uh, is, is truly is formidable and threatens the United States and our economic uh, standard of living right now. Uh, it'd be too, if we went to war with and or Russia or China, uh, things in the United States, how America's living, uh, eating would radically change. Uh, but uh, America, so to get right on it, we need to understand that our, our military must be strong, it must be viable. The reason that North Korea is continuing to relaunch missiles, which hasn't happened in uh, a year and a half ago, but is happening now, is because we're not taken seriously. The reason uh, Ukraine was invaded is we're not, you know, we're not looked at uh, as a serious competitor anymore. Uh, when these go unanswered, then uh, there's going to be serious consequences. And uh, so America has to pay more attention. We have to realize what's going on globally with, uh, our, with the global security. And, uh, you know, bottom line, there's men and women who have answered their country's call that are currently and in the future serving, their lives deserve competent commanders. People need to tell their members of Congress that you don't have to do this, but you're my leader. You, we elected you, and if you don't do anything, you won't be leading us anymore. It's, a, it's not like a civilian corporation. This is a democracy where we have the vote, and people need to uh, go through and make sure they vote people out of office uh, you know, there's there's only a handful that stood by us, and uh, you can research House Resolution 21 in the 115th Congress. 
and see how few members of Congress actually stood up and cared uh, for those of us that were our our necks were on the line. And when the the government was trying to gun us down, only a few members of Congress stood up and answered. So uh, the rest need to uh, you know need to hear from their constituents and told you need to make sure this doesn't ever happen again. This is having low morale in our military is the problem that Russia, uh, with their size and their sophistication, their technology, uh, that's why they're getting stuck in the mud in a place like Ukraine um, because of low morale and poor senior military leadership. I would submit we have the same kind of problem right now in the United States military, and it needs to be addressed and fixed. Yep. Um, I know you're pressed for time. This is frankly a book that deserves a movie so that more people can see it. Um, and uh, where, where can people buy it? Um, and uh, where can people uh, connect with you or follow you? Okay, David, they can buy it on Amazon. They can buy it on Books A Million, uh, Barnes & Noble. Uh, if they order it online, it will reserve their copy. Uh, it doesn't charge until the book is shipped on Amazon. So uh, to avoid any supply chain or short shortfall issues, I would recommend ordering it, pre-ordering it before the release date of June 7th. It is available on audiobook, electronic book, or hardback. And uh, they can follow me on Facebook at FC Galvin. And uh, they can also, uh, uh, on YouTube, the channel is commandoshow.com. Fred, uh, thank you so much for your time and, and for this book and, and for your service. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much for your patriotism, David. Thank you. Goodbye and God bless you. God bless.